attention to the details in the world is a difficult task, especially when there are so many distractions that lead us astray. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus meets two blind men who experience unique clarity in areas of both sight and sound. The blind men are able to filter through the many confusing elements around them that try to lead people astray, and in spite of all of that, they're able to filter through it and learn how God desires for them to live, and they know something about the order of creation. Now, this is a text that reminds us how much it is important for us to understand the order of God's creation. And the blind men, they see the big picture of life. So thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos, and I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there's one other with me here in the studio. Anthony Alegria. And I'm going to ask if Pastor Anthony would open us up in prayer as we get ready for our message today. I will. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the meditations of our hearts here in the studio and in the audience, and may the words of our mouths be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, so in the last few messages, I've been talking a lot about how everything really is a spiritual matter. And we have to be looking at the world around us and see the big picture. Everything really is a spiritual matter. We're up against a spirit of the age, which really has said everything is a moral issue. This is why you see justice attached to the end of everything. And we as Christians, we must have a rooted worldview if we're going to interact with the world around us. And we must always be looking to this big picture and realize we are spiritual beings. We are moral creatures and our hearts and our minds, they operate on those premises. Now, the blind men in this, they do see the big picture. They recognize that they are sitting next to the way of life, and they're able to filter through a lot of confusing elements in the world. In our own world, there are so many things that want to pull us different ways. There are things that want to lead us astray. There are people that want to lead us astray. There are stumbling blocks that we put in front of ourselves. And we must always be looking to the big picture to realize God does have a design for us. God wants you to be the man that he designed you to be. He wants you to be the woman he designed you to be. And God does have in order for his creation. There is a meaning to everything around us. And since the fall into sin, we have been living in fallen creation. And it takes the power of God to pull us back and reconcile us to be who we are called to be. Now, the men that are here in this text, they understand this and they get pulled back to that. Um, Pastor Anthony, would you read our text for us today? Matthew 20, 29 through 34. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. There were two blind men sitting by the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd sternly ordered them to be quiet, but they shouted even more loudly, Have mercy on us, Lord, son of David. Jesus stood and called them, saying, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately, they regained their sight and followed him. All right, so we can learn a lot from putting ourselves in the shoes of biblical characters. And one of the fascinating perspectives from this text is that of the crowd. Now, of course, we're going to be talking about these two blind men. But for just a moment, let's hesitate before stepping into their shoes and step into the shoes of this crowd. Because as we read through the Holy Scriptures, we find that they teach us so much by making comparisons, by contrasting different things. And understanding the angle of the crowd is actually going to teach us a lot about how we understand who the blind men are and where they fit in all of this picture. 
Now, it's beautiful to walk through the gospel and interact with the the world the way the gospel does and see all of these powerful transformations and to have the gospel worldview. But the contrast that we see between those who are walking on the way of life and then the rest of the world, those who are wanting to follow Jesus and then those who want to, to say Jesus is not Lord is always something which is really fascinating to see because we do learn so much about how we should interact with the world and how we, we, should, we should respond to things around us. So this contrast between the crowd and the blind men is quite perplexing. And to step into the shoes of the, the crowd, I want us to ask a question on the front end. How is it that the blind men know that Jesus has come near to them? Now, the text it gives us this answer. It says that they heard Jesus was passing by. And this makes sense when you consider that they're unable to see or their eyes are unable to see. And we know that Jesus, he doesn't simply walk around proclaiming that he is the king of the Jews. You know, they have those accusations of him when he is taken to the cross. But when you look throughout the gospels, he doesn't just go around touting himself saying, I am the king of the Jews. But rather, he ministers to the children of God and teaches them the way of life. Furthermore, we know that Jesus has frequently told people after performing miracles, he tells them, go and tell no one. And thus, we can assume that the blind men, they have heard of Jesus' presence for some other reason than Jesus touting himself. Because that is not Jesus' nature, to just go around being someone who is, well, brazen or, or arrogant or something like that. And what we see from this is that it's most probable that the blind men know that Jesus is near because they heard the crowds talking about Jesus. Now, this really is an important detail, and it's something that I want us to pay attention to. They have heard the voices of the crowd, and the blind men are able to filter through all the jumbled words and piece together the information that Jesus, this teacher who is still surrounded by mystery, is near to them. And this probability has caused me to wonder what exactly is the crowd saying about Jesus? And I've tried for some time to figure out what the crowd's angle is. And, you know, are their thoughts on Jesus good? Are their thoughts on Jesus bad? This text, it comes immediately before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where this same crowd is laying down palm branches, recognizing his honor and glory as he passes through their midst. But also, just a few moments after that triumphal entry, they're going to be so riled up against him as an angry mob, they're going to be demanding him be crucified. The workings of a crowd can be quite dangerous. And we know that crowds can be made to do a lot of different things when they cease to be really individuals and just a mob. But yet crowds are made up of individuals, all of whom have souls for which Jesus cares. And so I look at this and I look at this crowd and I say, well, we know in a few minutes they're going to be thinking well of Jesus and then further down they're going to think poorly of Jesus. So what we know is that they really don't know what to do with Jesus. And that's the conclusion I've come to. This crowd doesn't know what to do with Jesus. They're a mix of people who have witnessed, contemplated, and argued over the nature of Jesus and his ministry. And it's just a bunch of jumbled up different ideas where they're contemplating and arguing over the nature of Jesus. And it is these jumbled words, these jumbled words of contemplation and argumentation that alert the blind men to Jesus's presence. And now, even though the crowd does not know what to do with Jesus, they are talking about him enough that others are able to know him. And that's a really fascinating angle on this text when I read it. We know that there were those who followed Jesus out of love for him. There were others who opposed him. And regardless of what this crowd is saying, the truth is enough that whatever is being said about him reveals his nature to these blind men. And that kind of puts us in a question where we say, do we ask people, do we say enough about Jesus that others could know him just from overhearing our dialogue? 
Because it's unlikely that these crowds are out there in unison saying a clearly worded sermon. They're not going to be out there giving something that's a carefully worded discourse that they've all recited together. No, this is unorganized conversation. But their unorganized conversation was so filled with words of Jesus that others could know him in a manner that is quite profound. And this really is something I want us to to think about. Anthony, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. The fact that just the jumbled words of the crowd, the blind men are able to filter through that and and know Jesus. I do think that's a uh, pretty beautiful point. And I like how you took the time to really point out and flesh out just the uh, nature and danger of crowd mentality. Yeah. Mob mentality is not good for anyone. Um, And I think that even... Uh, in this scenario, it's really not that hard to imagine a crowd going the opposite way. And you can kind of see how this crowd is almost really, it's almost more an appearance of positivity and holiness than it is anything else. Because whenever they see these men who are pleading for mercy, you know, they tell them, hey, shoo, go away, calm down. You know, you're not supposed to be asking for mercy right now. Whenever they are approaching the God of mercy, you know. And you know, I'm going to kind of, I'm not disagreeing with you, but we often say that they're opposed to the blind men coming to Jesus because they tell him them to hush and go down and, you know, kind of shut up and go away. But if that is what they're doing, they're really, really bad at it. I mean, they're blind men on the side of the road next to a crowd. They should be really easy to separate from Jesus if you actually wanted to, if you're a crowd. So either they're totally pitiful at being people who don't want the blind men to be Jesus Or, as what I said earlier, they just don't know what to do about it all. So they kind of just say it in passing, like, hey, don't do this. But I don't think they're really committed to to keeping the blind men away from Jesus. And I mean, if they've been following Jesus for any amount of time, they know that he he does stuff like this all the time. This isn't the first time he's met blind um, people before. This isn't the first time he's met with a tax collector or a sinner. Um, I just think they don't know what to do with him more than they're just earnestly trying to set up boundaries and say, you can't come here because, I mean, if they were... They're really bad at that. Like, really bad. No, I mean, I, I think there's some truth to um, what you're saying. I don't think they have everything fleshed out, that's for sure. Um, but I, I do think that there is, uh, I mean, obviously, they're doing what they're doing for some yeah. set of reasons. They're not just, like, randomly behaving. And uh, I, it's probably it probably has to do with some, like, you know, maintenance of order. You know, they think it's a little disorderly for these blind men to be yelling at Jesus while he's coming. It's like, hey, look, don't bother him. And I can kind of understand that. But also, I think, you know, if they have the right understanding of Jesus, which is sort of what I'm trying to say is that in their crowd mob mentality, it appears very good. It appears like these people have got a good understanding of who Jesus is. And their understanding is still better than the crowd who wants to crucify him. But it's definitely not yet complete. Yeah. and, And to that point, I think you're right. I think the explanation for it is just disorder. I don't think it's a well-thought-out conscious motive that says, we're going to stop these blind men. I think it's just the disorder of it. They're confused. They really don't know what to do with Jesus. And you're going to see that as you continue through the gospel, um, that they, they don't know what to do with Jesus. But the blind men, they present a totally different angle to this. They have a great contrast to the crowd. And now we're going to go from looking at the crowd to looking at the blind men. Because even though the blind men, or excuse me, even though the crowd doesn't know what to do with Jesus, the blind men do. They're able to find something that is hidden to so many others. Granted, this thing that is hidden, it's not hidden because it's designed to be concealed in its nature, but the heart of those who behold it 
are unable to see it. The truth of Jesus is visible to the blind, while it's hidden to those that can see. You know, Jesus doesn't intentionally want to to hide himself to the world. That's why he's here. But at the same time, there are so many people who can't see it. They can't filter through the world. They're not... They're not connected with that big meta picture that is everything. They're not connected to the fact that we're all spiritual creatures. They're not chained to the understanding that God has a design for all of us. And when you are paying attention to God's design, suddenly you have clarity. These others, they're confused about it because they don't have that clarity. The blind men, they have some amount of clarity in seeing Jesus. They're able to filter through the complexities of the world and see the truth of who Jesus is. Their request for Jesus is to have their eyes opened. But the truth is, is that their eyes were already opened. As opposed to many who would first demand a sign from Jesus in order to believe in him, they believe in him first and then come to him with their pains in life. The blind men are in a position of humility and honesty with Jesus. So often we feel guilty about coming to Jesus honestly with our problems because we feel either selfish about it or ashamed. But Jesus wants us to be restored to how God designed us to be. Jesus desires to know these men and he desires for them to be restored. These men start their approach with Jesus by recognizing who he is. They first call him out as their Lord. And then he responds by restoring to them to the state God intended for them. And this is really a a wonderful example of that. They don't start by demanding a sign. Instead, they, they start by just saying, Jesus, you're Lord of my life. I'm not the man I was designed to be. And I know that this is not the life that you want for me. Please come to me and let me be the man I need to be. And that power is, it must come from God on this side of Eden. All the times that we try to convince ourselves that it doesn't have to come from God, you know, we can, we can have all these great virtues and things. We can be a people who, you know, we're, we're libertarian in our worldview and we can all come together. If we don't have our foundation built on the fact that Christ Jesus is Lord, everything is going to go back to chaos. It's going to go back to suffering, and that's just how it is. It requires the power of God. It requires Jesus being Lord of our lives to truly find the blessings in life which God has in store for us. There's an interesting piece of, of language that's found in this text. And I want us to talk to, um, I want us to go back and examine the Greek a little bit. Christianity was originally referred to as the way. And early Christians used this language quite often. The ancient church handbook known as the Didache opens up by saying there are two ways, the way of life and the way of death. When reading Matthew chapter 20, verse 30, in the original language of Greek, the two blind men are described as being paraten hodon, which I know that doesn't mean much to us if we don't understand ancient Greek, but in English this means they are beside the way. And I don't know, whenever this was recorded, whenever the, um, whenever Matthew is recording this gospel, I don't know if this is meant to be such a vivid play on words, but when I was reading through this, this is such a profound statement. They are beside the way. They're beside the way of life. And they know it. They completely are aware of where they're at. Self-awareness is actually something which is really hard for people to have. But these blind men, they have clarity and they have some self-awareness because they know that God had an order for them. They know that blindness is not part of the design that God intended for humanity. It's not what was meant for mankind. And these two blind men, they know they are beside the way. They know that they are paratin hodon. They're there on the perimeters, they're just on the outskirts of it. They can see it and they know that's where they're supposed to be and they are looking to it. Now, sure, you look at this and you say, well, the two blind men, they are literally sitting beside the the way of travel that people are moving along. 
But when we step back, and again, this is what is so important for us as Christians, we have to always be looking at the big picture. When we step back and examine this from the bigger picture, or you might say we're looking at this from its metaphysical truth, we find that they are sitting next to the way of life. And they know that they are sitting next to the way of life. They are on the outskirts of God's intended order, and they can see it. These blind men are only able to see the way of life and the design that God has for them because they are intimately familiar with it. They have carefully paid attention to God's design, and they know where they sit. They know that God designed them for more than what they are. They're just sitting on the side of the road, and they know that being transformed by Jesus is necessary for them to become the men they were meant to be. The blind men, they see the bigger picture. They see that everything is a spiritual matter. While most people are distracted by the jumbled mess of fallen creation, again, if you've ever tried to listen to a crowd, it's almost ambient noise because there's so many things. You can pick up a few sounds, maybe a few words. We're generally not good at filtering through that. But these blind men were. They were totally able to filter through that and find out that Jesus, this teacher that's so mysterious going around, People have been talking about him as being the Messiah. You've got other angles that says, you know, he's, he's not really who he says he is. There, there are people who have even saying he's, you know, demonic or satanic. But yet they are able to filter through all of this and see the truth. And they're only able to do that because they are rooted in the truth of God's order. And we as Christians, we have to be able to look at the big picture. Because this whole idea that you need to, to just have an, an open mind and don't commit to anything, that's only going to, to disable you rather than to enable you. These blind men, they start from the premise of God's order, and that tells them who they are and who they are meant to be. And we can learn a lot from that. Anthony? Well, it also tells them who they need to go to to get onto the way of life. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Um not only do they know that this is sort of how it's supposed to be, but they know the source and they know uh, who they need to turn to in order to get back onto that way of life and not be only beside it. Yeah. And this is something we can really learn from. The patterns of sight and sound that these blind men are in tune with are something that we must be in tune with as well. These two, they are blessed from the very moment they approach Jesus. Their blessing doesn't just begin after they're healed. They are blessed from the fact that they know who Jesus is. They're blessed with the fact that they can filter through the sounds and everything. Again, they're hearing who Jesus is. They're able to filter through that and find him. Through all the noise of life, through all the noise, all the distractions, all the different people telling you different things about Jesus, they're able to filter through it. And again, they're not filtering through like some nice academic textbook that gives them all the technical details. It's not even a well-argued something like you might find in the Chronicle Narnia where you've got fiction trying to tell you a truth. They don't have any of that. All they have is the jumbled mess of life, and yet they can filter through it. They can sift through there and find out exactly who Jesus is. And they know who he is, and they are blessed from that. And they also know, because they've been able to filter through this, they've been able to filter through the mess of fallen creation, they know that they are not who they are meant to be. And from the very first moment they speak in this text, they open up by recognizing Jesus is Lord. They're not distracted by the world at all. They know that God did not create them to suffer in the manner that they are suffering, and that Jesus is their Lord. Moreover, they do know that he is the son of David, that has been long hoped for, but it's also clear from their request that they recognize his authority being far greater than just that of a mere human offspring from an ancient king. They know that Jesus has the power to heal them. 
The world is filled with distraction that keeps us from this basic truth. There are people and ideologies in this world that will tell you not to pursue transformation. They will tell you that your temptations are good. Some people in this world will try to get you to indulge in your temptations to the point that they define who you are. Some will look at your disadvantages in life and tell you that that is your identity. But these blind men, they know better. They know that God designed them for something greater than who they were on this fallen creation. These blind men knew that Jesus was the path to becoming the men that they were designed to be. And now paying attention to the world around us, it is not easy. And it's not easy to see the truth about Jesus. Oftentimes we reason ourselves into things that are false. Proverbs 16.25 reminds us that sometimes there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it is the way of death. You know, last week when he had our, we had our big podcast over here and we were talking about the seven deadly lies in the church, we were talking about um, Arianism and this whole idea that Jesus isn't fully God. People have reasoned themselves into something which sounds right to them, and it does have a reason and rationale, but it starts with the wrong premise. Their, their data that they're beginning with is wrong, and in the end, it ends up leading to the way of death. Sometimes we, we look at various things in the world and we put together ideas and rationales that seem to make sense. But in the end, they're wrong and wicked. Just because something makes sense doesn't mean it is always true. It is possible to reason through things when you start from bad information or the wrong premise. People will create justifications for all sorts of things that are wicked and corrupting. The crowds around Jesus are filled with different opinions as to who Jesus is. There are people trying to figure out who Jesus is and how that affects their lives. And so many people end up being a part of a mob rather than earnestly following Jesus. And we know how it is to get frustrated. And we know in life there are a lot of things that frustrate us. And you've probably in some point in time in your life tried to talk with someone and it's turned into an argument. And you feel like the two of you are talking with one another but you can't hear one another. Sure, there are words coming out of both of your mouths. But the words that are coming out, they are like two different conversations going on. That's really how a lot of stuff in this crowd is. People, they're talking with one another, but they're not actually going anywhere. It's just a big jumbled mess. At one moment, they might be laying down palm branches to praise Jesus. The next moment, they might be crying, crucify him. They're just stuck in a frustrating moment where they can't really figure out who Jesus is. They have their reasons, their rationale, but they can't see the truth of Jesus because they're blinded by something in life. However, for the blind men, they are able to see and hear clearly because of their faith. One of the great lies that we deal with in the world around us is that we do not need rules to live by, that having such rules are a hindrance to our existence. But this is not true. Having rules about the basic structure of creation helps you to see and hear clearly. God did not design us to be blind, and God did not design us to live in confusion and be swayed by whatever popular opinion is going through the crowd. God designed us to be His image, reflecting His will on earth. And in order to have clarity of sight and sound, we must be able to filter out the nonsense. Spending time in Scripture and carefully holding ourselves to the rules that God has set before us helps us to filter out the nonsense. And so many times people want to bend the rules to whatever their persuasion is, um, it's always convenient when people say, well, that's not really a sin, and it's always the one that they're interested in or they're sympathetic to. But holding ourselves to rules and the rules that do rub us the wrong way because we are tempted to go against them, 
This is what is so important. Having this metric will help us navigate the difficult waters of life and will in the end make us much better people because we are restored to the design that God has for us. There are many things in life which want to distract us. They want to pull us down the way of death. And there are going to be things that sound reasonable, but yet they lead to the way of death. We must have clarity about God's creation and how we are to live if we want to be on the way of life. This text reminds us how important it is to build your life around the order of God's creation. God has an order, and we have a place in that order. We find that we are liberated and blessed once we appreciate the truth of how God designed us. The blind men are very aware that they are afflicted with an affliction that was not intended for them. And we can find clarity in life once we start to appreciate God's will for the world around us. The blind men, they are blessed with clarity. They know that their blindness is against the rules of the created order. And they know that Jesus has come to bring the order, or bring order to the chaos. Jesus wants to bring order to the chaos in our lives. And he wants us to be able to see the world clearly around us. Let us pray that we have sight like the blind men. And that those in our lives can be blessed with that sight as well. Anthony, would you close us in prayer as we come to an end of our message? I will. Gracious Heavenly Father, as Dylan just said, we pray, Lord, for sight like the blind men. We pray, Lord, that we can see your coming kingdom. And we pray that we can remember and know the joys that it is to be near you. Lord, we pray that you would transform our hearts and minds. That... We can be fully part of the kingdom, enjoy the fruits of the Spirit, and be able to bless those around us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.